and uh, and uh, it's called the Bible Engagement Project, and uh, so we've been hitting all these themes, and today we're taking kind of a rest and just talking a little bit about what we've been doing in the last couple months, and uh, some of the things that we've talked about, and it gives a chance for you to kind of review what some of the things the Holy Spirit was speaking to you, and so... We're going to start with what we, we started about six weeks ago. Yes, oh, Terry, we had, I forgot. We have to take an offering every once in a while. <laughs> I'm sorry, I get distracted. But um, Lord, we ask you bless each one as they give, and we ask you to meet the needs we have. Tears have told me it wasn't looking too good this month, but Lord, you're our provider. So we ask that you would meet every need. And we just thank you for your faithfulness, God. This is your church, belongs to you. And I pray you'd move in the hearts of the people and you'd be moved on. And I just thank you for this amazingly generous, faithful congregation. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we started with Gideon six weeks ago. How many people remember Gideon? In Judges chapter 6 through 8. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Would you do? keep going? So Gideon was—he's characterized as the guy that was the least qualified for God to use him. If you remember, the nation was t- being terrorized by other marauding bands coming from other nations and plundering. Israel was very weak because they had taken their eyes off God and were basically worshiping idols. And God called Gideon. He was hiding in a wine press, treading the, the grain to separate the, the grain from the stalks. And uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty warrior, great, great mighty warrior. And, uh, and Gideon was like, Who are you talking to? And God called Gideon to become a mighty warrior. And the first thing he had him do was to tear down the altar in his family's home, his father's altar. And so the real thrust of Gideon is that God uses people who don't think they're qualified. Now how many people am I talking to this morning who don't think they're qualified? I'm looking at me. My thumb is pointed back. We, all of us feel that way, don't we? And if you meet somebody who who looks like they're a superstar, like they're really qualified, guess what? They have got major holes and weaknesses that just aren't apparent to you and me. But we are not qualified. God qualifies the unqualified. And the question here is if you had to make a list of God assign your God assignments the things that you believe God wants you to carry out while you're on this planet, what would be on that list? Take a few moments to pray over that list, surrender your excuses, and offer your obedience to God, knowing that He is with you. What was it that God said to Moses when Moses said, I can't talk, I stutter. What did God say to Moses? Yep, he said, I will be with your mouth. How do you like that? I'll be with your mouth. 
So whatever it is that you think disqualifies you, God says, I will be with that. I will help you with that. I will enhance that. I will put my spirit on that so that people won't even recognize you because they will see me. And who gets the glory when God puts His Spirit on us and does things in us that we could never do? He does. Because if we could do it, then we would take pride in it. And God wouldn't get glory. So that was Gideon. That's the main thing, the main takeaway from Gideon that I'm sharing with you this morning. There's lots of stuff in Gideon's life. The, second thing, the next one we looked at was Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And I really think that we should always look at the three of them together because they really illustrate that relationships, loyal, faithful relationships, and standing by people is so, so important and so much the heart of God. He's the one that said uh, uh, two people standing together are not going to be easily separated. When one falls down, the other picks him up. If someone's attacked, a brother can fight them off. And a threefold cord is not going to be broken very easily. Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz illustrate that. Remember, um, Naomi was this Jewish mama who went, they, because of a famine, they went into the neighboring country of Moab. It was like going to California from here, right? And, uh, and they got there, and then both her husband died and her two sons died. And so she was left with two daughters-in-law. They were both foreigners. They were Moabite women. And the one daughter, she said, she said to the daughters, I'm going to go back to Israel because it's getting better back there. You gals go back, go to, your, go to your mama, find another man to get married to. And the one gal left, and Ruth said, no way. God put you in my life. He's become my God, and you're my friend, and I'm not leaving you. And she went back to Israel, even though she went back to a land that was foreign to her. The people there probably looked at her as a foreigner and didn't treat her very friendly, at least initially. But as Ruth was faithful and Ruth was humble and she was faithful to serve her mother-in-law, who was a bitter woman. In fact, she's, she named herself Mara, which means bitter. That's her nickname for herself. But Ruth stuck through it and God opened the doors. She was she went to be faithful by gleaning in a field. She ended up marrying the farmer. He ended up being a wealthy man who was a wealthy man and married her. And, and uh, she was able to find out that Naomi had a, had a piece of property that was left because her husband died. And, and, and Boaz went and got that land back for the family. And down the road, they had a grandbaby whose name was King David. Amazing. King David's great-grandma was a foreigner. And you'll find that in the line of Jesus. He's got all these foreigners like Ruth and like um, Tamar, the prostitute, who was a Canaanite. It's an amazing thing. Jesus includes all of us. Every nation, every descendant of Noah is included in Jesus' lineage. Did you know you're included in Jesus' lineage. And the main takeaway I see in Ruth is faithful, humble, loyal friendship. God uses it. It's a, it represents His heart. 
After we looked at Ruth, we looked at Samuel, who became known as Samuel the prophet. He was actually the last of Israel's judges. And one of the first of the, of the main, well, Moses was considered a prophet, but Samuel was considered a very, a very much one of the major prophets. And we meet Samuel as a, as a boy. You guys probably remember the story. His mama, Hannah, couldn't have kids. And she cried out to the Lord because her husband had two wives. The other wife was like a rabbit. She would have a kid every year. And uh, Hannah was made, she would rub Hannah's nose in the dirt, basically, saying, you know, God must not love you. You're not having any kids. And Hannah took her, her need to the Lord. And the Lord blessed her. She got pregnant and had Samuel, and she dedicated Samuel to the Lord and said, when he's old enough, probably about six, I'm going to take him to the temple, and he's going to, he's going to, I'm going to release him to the Lord, and he's going to serve in the temple of God. They did that back then, every once in a while. And you know, she did that. She took Samuel when he was old enough to the temple and, and gave him to the priest, and uh, the priest to take care of. And then God blessed her with like five or six more kids. So it was like, God really blessed her for that amazing act of worship to him. But Samuel, is now he's about 11 years old. He's been working in a temple there the, with the priest and his two sons that are just bad people. The, the father is a weak person who doesn't discipline his sons. And the sons are sleeping with the ladies that come to offer worship sacrifices in the temple. It's really not the way Israel is supposed to operate. And... Um, but anyway, Samuel, at 11 years old, one night he goes to bed. You know, he's, he's just crawling in his sleeping bag and the Holy Spirit speaks to him. God speaks to him and says, says Samuel. And he thinks it's Eli who's in the next room calling him. So he gets up and goes over there. And Did you call me? And he goes, no. Goes back to bed. He hears the Lord say, Samuel. He, said, he goes back to Eli. Did you call me? No, no, no. Go back to bed. It took three times before Eli finally realized God might be speaking to this kid. <laughs> so the next time Samuel comes and says, did you call me? He says, okay, go and say, yes, Lord, I'm listening. So Samuel goes back, and then he says, be sure to tell me what he says. So Samuel goes back, gets in his sleeping bag, and the Lord speaks to him and says, Samuel. And Samuel says, all right, Lord, I'm listening. And God just downloads a whole bunch of stuff about what's going to happen to Eli and his family. And he, Samuel doesn't really want to tell Eli, the priest, but uh, he demands it. So he does. He tells him, he says, God's going to judge your two sons. They're going to die on a single day. And uh, it's going to be bad for you. And he goes, it's quite a prophecy. Anyway, the whole thing with Samuel grows up to be a, a famous prophet. It says that not a single one of his words fell to the ground, which means when God spoke to him, it was God. And he never had any uh, errors. When he spoke representing the Lord, it was right on. That'd be quite quite a amazing a record to have as a prophet. But the thing about Samuel, the takeaway I have with Samuel is God wants to speak to us. We, you know, Jesus said, My sheep know me, and they hear my voice, and they follow me. That word here there means recognize and respond to. Did you know that you have built into you the ability to hear God's voice, to hear Holy Spirit? 
The problem with us, it's not with God speaking to us, it's with us hearing and listening. There's a difference between hearing and listening. It's letting God's Word come to us and respond to it. Because I don't know about you, but um, if you're talking to somebody and they're not listening, do you just keep talking and talking and talking? No, you don't. You stop and you just go, I'm going to wait till they're ready to hear what I have to say. And that's the way it is with the Lord in us. He wants to speak to us. But He's looking for receptive listeners. He's looking for ones that say, Yes, Lord, what you say I will act on. The word here in the Hebrew literally means to obey. It doesn't mean just to hear. It means to hear and respond. And we can come, the Bible talks about people who become dull of hearing. And so the challenge for you this morning through Samuel is this question there. It says, what gets in the way of you really listening to God? Do you need to turn down the volume or mute completely other voices or things so that you can hear His voice more clearly? How many of you have one of these little boxes? <laughs> How many of you have gone to a restaurant and seen a group of people in the restaurant? Were they all visiting and talking with one another? They're, they're texting each other. <laughs> no, they're all looking at this little box. This can get in the way of hearing from God. And it gets in my way because it has a grip on me too. But... I believe that God can speak to us and I believe that there's time to put the box down and to listen. To listen to Him. And I'm discovering that the more I'm listening, the more He's speaking. So I want to encourage you this morning. What is getting in the way of you being able to hear God? These flies are driving me crazy this week. Flies and moths. Did you guys read my article on moths in our Facebook group, group page? I just sat down, the Lord started downloading stuff. I just wrote it all down. So. Hearing God. God wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to you. How many of you that be so bold this morning to say, God, as far as I know, God has never spoken to me? Anybody? Well, that's good. That means most all of you know that you're you're at least hearing God's voice inside. Some of you have probably heard God speak out loud. Any of you say you've heard God speak out loud? Yeah, there's about seven or eight, nine, ten. I told you the story about my dad who was under the house. I didn't even consider my dad saved at the time. I was about college. I was a new Christian. And I went home and my, I was visiting my dad and he says, yeah, I was under the house working on the oil furnace. It, that was back in heating oil days. They didn't have propane and natural gas. He said, I was working under the house and all of a sudden, I heard this voice say, Tom, this is 1974, 75. I was just saying, not 75, yeah. And he said, I looked around. There's nobody under the house. I thought, I must be hearing things. And then I went back to work on the furnace. It was in the crawl space. And then uh, he heard the voice, Tom. Because I looked around again. There's nobody there. He said, I realized God must be talking to me. 
So I said, yeah. And then the Lord said, Tom, Sally's going to leave you. Sally was my mom. And I don't remember what else my dad told me, but it was, the Lord said that, and I don't know if, what else he said to my dad. And um, I think it was about n- nine months later, my mom left. And it was, broke our family up. It was really, really hard. My mom has since passed. She came back to the Lord before she died. She's with the Lord today. But um, God could speak to my dad, who I consider to be not living for the Lord at all. He wants to speak to you. And uh, I have not heard his voice out loud. I've heard it almost out loud. It was so loud in me, it was like it was out loud. So I want to just stop and pray about that one. So, Jesus... We just ask that you would help us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us and show us where we're blocking your voice, where we're deflecting your voice inside of our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know what it looks like to still and quiet our hearts. David talked about that in the Psalms. He said, still and quiet my heart like a weaned child. A weaned child is no longer crying for the breast every five minutes but it's now become satisfied. It has a meal and it's satisfied and it's quiet. Lord, help us to be like a weaned child that we can hear the still, small voice of Your Spirit. Lord, I pray You'd help Your people. In these days ahead we're moving into, we're going to really need to hear Your voice out of all the voices that are going to be clamoring for our attention. We need to be able to know Your voice. So help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. So after Samuel, we looked at this where Israel, um, when Samuel grew up, he had sons that ended up turning out just like Eli's sons almost. They were, they were full-grown men that were working in the temple and they were bad guys. They were not honest. They were taking bribes. They were living uh, sinful lives. And I'm sure Samuel was heartbroken and, and Brooke and I were talking about it the other day. Why did Samuel's sons turn out like Eli's sons? Samuel was not a father like Eli as far as we know. So it was just a crazy thing. I think it illustrates that you can be the best dad in the world and your kids could still have problems and turn out to be very frustrating and, and, and struggling with sin. It doesn't mean you're a bad father. Everybody has their own choices to make and how they respond to God or they don't. And sometimes you have to just realize, I'm going to be on prayer assignment for an awful long time. Until I see my kids turn the corner. And maybe Samuel's kids turned the corner before he died. I hope so. I don't know. doesn't say. But now Israel comes. The elders come to Samuel and they say, Hey, we don't like your kids. They're not, they're not like you. They're more like, they, they probably said they're more like Eli's kids. You died. They died in one day. Battle. But... Um, so the elders come to Samuel and go, hey, we've been looking at all the neighboring nations and they've all got kings to rule over them. And their king goes out with his big retinue and all these soldiers and he's got a cool palace and uh, 
and, uh, and the king represents and takes care of all the needs of the people. And, uh, and, and we want to have a king like the other nations do. And Samuel just really hurt. Plus, they told Samuel he was old. They said, you're old. We want to get a king. So Samuel goes to the Lord, which is smart, and God actually tells him, no, let him have a king. But warn them that the king is going to introduce something that you don't like. It's called taxation. It's called the IRS. <laughs> and he's going to draft your kids into his army. And you're going to lose some of your kids. And he's going to take your girls and make them cooks and bakers in his castle in the, in the bakery. And, and he's going he's to take your best land. And so Samuel delivers the message. And they still said, no, we want to be like the rest of the nations. And the real takeaway from that story is that the culture comes calling to all of us. Our culture around us comes calling and says, you should be like this. This is what success looks like. This is what beauty looks like. Look at the commercials. How many ladies do you see that need to exercise more on the commercials? No, they all got this perfect hourglass figure. And how many older ladies do you see, unless they're advertising drugs, medications? No, you see girls in their teens and 20s. How many guys with paunches do you see on advertisements on TV? No, unless they're advertising health care or they're advertising a gym, they all look like they're buff. Our culture is constantly bombarding with what you need to believe, what you need to think, what your values need to be. And God's values, that's why they called Jesus' kingdom the upside-down kingdom. Because His values are upside-down. Jesus tells us it doesn't matter what your body looks like if you're following Me. He says, what matters is that you are listening to my spirit and walking with me. He says, don't worry about what other people think. The world says, worry about what other people think. Jesus said, what really matters is loving and relationships and being faithful and walking with your God. To do justly, to love mercy, and to, to walk humbly with your God. We are in an upside-down kingdom. Read Matthew 6, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus lays it out so clearly because we are being lured in by our culture, just like Israel was. Instead of saying to us, you need a king, they're saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do that, you need to, you need to buy this to be happy, you need to invest in that. And God says, listen to my Holy Spirit. He will show you the way to go. The question there, can you identify any current desires that, could bring, that you have that could bring potential harm and regret to your life down the road? These are the things you dream about. What is it that you're dreaming about? Are those desires from God or are they coming from the culture? Even if those longings are strong and deep, are you willing to open them up 
to the scrutiny of your Heavenly Father who loves you and has your best interest at heart. God's best interest for you might be not to be wealthy. It might be not to live to be 90. Because you've got to live in light of eternity. Eternity, when you think of eternity, it changes everything the way we look at this life. This life is not the end. Brooke just shared it. We're all going to die. That's hard to get used to. But it's true and we need to hear it. And we need to deal with it. We need to start living with eternal perspective. So our lives can count because we're going to stand before Jesus to give an account for how we've used every day of this life. So important. We put Him first. That's why He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all these other things will be taken care of. And then two Sundays ago, we started volume 5, which is called Purposeful Living in the Bible Engagement Project, the program, whatever it is, project. And we started with David and Goliath. And and we're going to pretty much end with David and Goliath this morning. And uh, we talked about, Brooke actually preached this on Mother's Day. And it turned out to be a great Mother's Day message, I thought. I loved her message. I watched it. It was really good. I was teaching Calvary kids. I had a blast. I got a uh, Mandalorian figurine about this tall. Oh, there it is. And I made him, I made him into Goliath. I, got, I made a sword out of a, out of a plastic knife. And I, I took that badge off of a Rotarian plaque I had that I didn't care about, and I made a shield out of it with a piece of rubber band behind it. And so now you have Goliath. The man, is it Goliathorian or Mandagoliath? Anyway, that's Goliath. And then David was another action figure. It was a lot smaller. And uh, he looked kind of like a David. And um, I put, a, you can't see it hardly, but I made a slingshot out of, a, out of toothpicks. So that's David and Goliath. We had a lot of fun. But David and Goliath, this clearly shows us again that God does not use the people that seem to be qualified. Because you remember, Israel demanded a king and they got the king. And he was the best looking, strongest, tallest guy in the land. And his name was Saul. And King Saul was everything on the outside, but he was lacking on the inside. He's lacking character. He didn't have a passion for God. And down the road, he became very selfish and began to abuse the people that he was called to serve as their first king. He taxed them. He took their men. He took their daughters. He took their land, just like it was prophesied. And so when Goliath, the enemy, comes out to attack Israel, what do you think their big, strong king was going to do? He was hiding behind the lines, terrified, along with all the rest of his soldiers. So much for being the tallest guy in the land. And God sent probably a 16-year-old boy named David, who was the youngest of eight, I think, or seven. He was the youngest kid in his family, and he was the sheep herder. And, and God, he, he had had, we read that he had a tangle with a bear and a tangle with a lion. And in each case it says 
He didn't shoot the bear and the lion from a distance. It says he took the lamb out of the lion and the bear's mouth and slew the lion, which means he used a knife, I guess. Can you imagine hand-to-hand combat with a bear? Can you imagine your dad would send you out into the back 40 when there's bears and lions roaming? It's like the father thought, oh, I've got seven sons. What's if I lose one? Big deal. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, Jesse, why would you let your son go out there by himself? At least send two of them. Oh, no, David, go take care of the sheep. But that was the place where God's Spirit came upon David. Remember uh, Samuel the prophet anointed David when he was a kid? And uh, David, from that point on, David went out. The power of the Holy Spirit was with him. He killed the lion and the bear with the help of God. And so when he goes to visit his brothers on the battlefield, he's saying, what's this giant? Why is this a problem? The God who helped me beat the lion and beat the bear, I can take care of this giant. Because my God is so big. My God is powerful. And when Saul heard about it, he tried to give David his armor. Of course, that was way too big for David. It wouldn't fit. And that wasn't David anyway. David went with the weapons God gave him. And he picked up those five smooth stones. Remember, Goliath had four brothers. God again used the disqualified, the unqualified, to do His will. But He used somebody whose vision was caught up with the living God. Not somebody that could only see giants. And if you go through your Christian life only looking at the giants, you're going to be miserable. You're not going to win. You're not going to have victory. It's when you can look at your God and let Him become, let Him fill your vision, your horizon, that you begin to realize you, you start to live and walk in a place of victory. But you've got to choose what you're going to look at. You've got to choose what you're going to set your gaze on. Remember Romans 12, 2, the Apostle says, set your eye, setting your eyes, fixing your eyes on Jesus the author and the finisher of your faith. That's where we've got to put our focus. And when you do that, you can, defend, you can defeat any giant that comes along. So the question there, was the battle David fighting spiritual or physical? It was both. It was a physical giant, but what was behind the giant? We know it was demonic. The same can be true in our lives. It can be easy to forget at times that we are fighting a spiritual battle when we face confrontation in this world. We have to be careful as Christians to remember this truth. We don't want to attack people. Remember that? The weapons of our warfare are spiritual, not carnal. We don't, we're not dealing with flesh and blood. We're dealing with spiritual. What's behind the flesh and blood? Unfortunately, the flesh and blood most of the time doesn't have a clue why they're attacking us, and that the enemy is using them. But we still have to show mercy to them and be very careful not to destroy the person when we're trying to deal with the real enemy. This is the most important battle we fight in our lives. How are you learning to fight the spiritual battles you are facing? And I'll just give you one little clue. You don't do it alone. You don't do it alone. You get somebody to stand with you. That's really important. So next Sunday, we're going to talk about David's son, Solomon. You've got to remember, um, between the time David became king, it was 40 years before he died, and uh, 
He had an affair with a married woman named Bathsheba. Most of you know that story. He was looking down from his high tower and saw her in the hot tub and thought, "Woo!" And he called her up because he was the king and he could do whatever he wanted. And he said, bring that girl to me, even though she was married to one of his um, commanders. And um, when he got her pregnant, he had a problem because what he had done in secret was going to become exposed. And so David made arrangement for them to take her husband up to the edge of a battle they were having, up to the walls of the city they were trying to, to take over. And then he said, have all the rest of the soldiers back away and, and leave Uriah up here exposed. And he got shot by the archers and killed. So David committed murder by army. How do you like that for a godly king? The Bible is full of imperfect people that make really, really bad choices. Anyway, the baby she had died, unfortunately, and then they had another child and named him Solomon. And um, Solomon, the second son, became David's successor and continued to be in the lineage of Jesus. Solomon was in Jesus. He was also a type of Christ, at least partly. Solomon began his reign with a promising act, asking the God of his father, David, to give him great wisdom. And uh, we're going to find out what happens next week. In the meantime, I encourage you to look up a couple verses in the New Testament where Jesus talks about David and Solomon. Two, two passages of each. So you can see they're right there. And if you've got the handout that Lola so sweetly passed out to everybody, um, you can uh, check that out. Or you can go to your devotional on the app and check it out and look at the questions. It's actually on the Calvary app and not on the Bible Engagement devotional this week because today's a review. Yeah. Really? Okay. I'll put it on there today. So it'll be ready tomorrow or later today. Anyway, I hope that this review helped make these things fresh again in your hearts and minds. Because I believe God is equipping us for what's coming down the pike with our future, with our nation. And we need to receive and, and take in everything God is giving us because He's not wasting His time. So let's pray. God, thank You so much for this morning, for the moving of Your Holy Spirit. We thank You so much, Lord, for your goodness to us, for your sweet presence. Thank you for those who are able to come and visit us today. I pray you would just load them down with some really good stuff to take home, Lord, in the Spirit, and that they would have plenty to talk about on their drive back to Omaha, and that they would have wonderful, refreshing times while they're here and with family. We just thank you so much for today. And I, Father, I pray that any that, that um, Lord, you're speaking to about needing wanting to be filled with your Holy Spirit, wanting to be empowered, Lord, that you would just meet them in a powerful way. Jesus, baptize them in your Spirit. Fill them up with you. And we just thank you for this morning as we go. We bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just invite you, if anybody desires to receive personal ministry, just hang around the front here for a few minutes, and we have some folks to be glad to pray with you.